Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you. We're so glad you decided to join us for worship this morning. I hope you're here ready to worship the Lord. Let's stand together and sing. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing.
You are the everlasting God of all the universe. We turn our hearts to you in worship today. We turn our faces to you. We want to lavish praise on you this morning, Father. Jericho and uh, the amazing victory that Israel had over Jericho. What we didn't talk about was were, were the walls, this this fortress that the people of Jericho lived inside of that seemed impenetrable, but was penetrated by the by the singing and the music and the, and the shouting of, of Israel as they, as they marched around, bringing the walls down. There is a, there is a power 
that is inside of our worship, that comes through our worship and our praise. So again, I ask, what, what are your walls? What are the things that you may find yourself in with life right now that seems impenetrable, that perhaps today you just like to just Raise a hallelujah inside of it, regardless of what's going on. Just make a declaration of praise, regardless of how difficult things might be, how hard things might be, how even chaotic things might be, that, that inside of that particular storm, that particular reality, you're just going to make a declaration today. I'm just going to praise God for who he is today and entrust all the rest into his hands. I just, I just think that would be a powerful thing for us to do. And um, this next song, the song we're about to sing, it's going to be new to you maybe. Maybe you've heard it on the radio. But it's just a simple declaration. I'm going to raise a hallelujah squarely in the presence of my enemies. Satan's schemes have been defeated at the foot of the cross, and we can make that declaration today. Even in the midst of it all, we can declare that through song. So let's do that as we sing this out. Oh, 
chapter 16, that Paul and Silas were unjustly thrown into prison. And their response, they raised a hallelujah at midnight in the middle of that jail cell. And the door swung open and the chains fell off. And the jailer and his whole family were saved that very night. It tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that a vast army was coming against the Lord's people. The king of Israel at the time, Jehoshaphat, sent men ahead of him to sing, sing praises to God. And the enemy was utterly defeated. They were all turned around. They were ambushed. It was a complete victory for the people of God. Praise takes the focus off of us and puts the attention on the almighty God of the universe who is worthy of our praise. Amen? It reminds us of our utter dependence on him. We can't even make our hearts beat. He does it. Our cells reproduce because of a God who created us masterfully. I encourage you in the middle of whatever battle or storm you're in right now to raise hallelujah. Turn your face toward heaven. Sing to heaven. Raise your hallelujah. Thank you. 
Jesus, we have called on your name today. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor forever and ever. That's what the revelation declares. And we join in that praise offering to you today. We join in that picture, that imagery, that reality that right now, because of the fact that you defeated death, you rose from the dead and have ascended into the heights of heaven, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. We join in with this incredible picture of all these beings encircling the throne, bringing glory and honor and praise to your name today. We raise a hallelujah today in spite of what might be happening around us. We raise a hallelujah today singing against the schemes of the enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to build walls around us that are, that are impenetrable, walls that can hold us back hold us down, defeat us, bring bondage to us. We sing against all of that today, raising a hallelujah in the midst of that for the purpose of victory coming into our lives because of the victory that you bring us. Our, our praise today, it, it's, it's not about us and it's, it's not about our stuff. It's about who you are. You are the creating and sustaining God of all the universe, sovereign over all things, conqueror. But because of that, you have made a declaration to us that we are more than conquerors. We don't have to live our lives out with defeat and bondage and, and sadness and discouragement. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we walk in that today. We sing inside of that reality today. We offer our praise to you because simply put, you are worthy. We are your people called by your name. We park ourselves squarely in your presence today. We want to 
encounter you. They want to be filled by you, changed by you. They want to meet with you today. We open up your word, which is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. We cling to it. We hide it in our hearts. We dig today. And we feed today because we need more of you. We want to know you more. So we just press into you a little bit harder. Thank you for your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy that's continually at work in our lives. And it's the mighty name of Jesus we all pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. And while you're doing so, I want to invite our ushers. Jesus, you are our provider. We honor you for the provision that has come into our lives and for the provision that is coming. This act of worship that we do today, we do with joy, with humility, with, with anticipation of you continuing to bless and to provide. So take what we have to offer you today. Use it. Bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it. Build your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Kiddos, you can come provide your offering and then head out with Miss McKenzie. surrender it all. <laughs> While they're doing that, a couple of things I just want to remind us of. We have Easter just around the corner, a couple Sundays away. I hope that you have been praying for family members, loved ones, neighbors, co-workers, <clears throat> someone that the Lord might put on your heart to um, to invite to church. It just is one of the Sundays in a year that unbelievers are, 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 are most responsive to coming to church. It's kind of an American thing. What an opportunity we have to help them experience and encounter the presence of God and hear the truth of the gospel. It's changed our lives. Don't we want it to change theirs as well? So I'm just, I'm, I, again, I just put it out there, hoping that you will, you'll be considering that, thinking about that, lifting that up to the Lord. Is there someone around me, Lord, that I could just extend an invitation to and invite them to lunch, invite them to fellowship following? Let's just be the hands and feet of Jesus that weekend. And, of course, that, that's, that's Easter Sunday. The day before that, we have our Easter egg hunt, one of our great community events. 
that Friday night, the night before that, is our Seder meal. If you have not experienced um, what the disciples experienced during the Last Supper, that's called a Seder meal, a Passover meal, we do that right in here, the full thing, uh, uh, every Good Friday. Um, and everyone is invited to come to that. We'll have a sign-up sheet prepared for that. Um, but if you haven't decided what you want to do for Good Friday, I would encourage you to, to think and pray about that. It's, it's a great opportunity as we experience what they experienced and we see Jesus all the way through it. It's, it's, it's a powerful time. <clears throat> it brings us great understanding of, of, of the messianic aspect of, of Jesus' work. Um, also, uh, heading up towards Easter, um, we, we have put together a, a choir. We're going to have singing with us Easter Sunday morning. If you're interested in participating in that choir, choir practice is right after service today, up the ramp, up this ramp here in what we call the chapel. Um, feel free to join us for that. Today, we dig into the book of Judges. If you're visiting with us today, I just want you to know we're, we, um, we're, we're doing our best to walk through the Bible. Okay, and, and I mean, we're skimming right across the top, hitting one book a week. But we're trying to get this, this big picture view of what Scripture is communicating from Genesis to Revelation. So we, we're, we pick up the reading today in the book of Judges. And we're going to read in Judges chapter thir- uh, not 13, um, 16. Judges chapter 16. So as you're turning to that, let me give us a little framework. <clears throat> Israel has left Egypt. The Exodus story has taken place. Moses led them out. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. And Joshua is the one that leads them into the promised land. And there's this, and for the rest of Joshua's life, they are they are taking over all the parts and pieces of of the promised land <clears throat> and they complete that task and in so doing then it basically Joshua's, Joshua's life comes to an end Joshua did not raise up a leader to follow him now he wasn't necessarily instructed to do that okay but he clearly did not have awareness or forethought to do, do that himself as a leader. So when Joshua dies, there's no one there to step into that role. This generation has only known some kind of leadership in their lives, from Moses to Joshua, and now they have none. And the very last verse of Judges gives us a pretty good picture of what the time frame is like. Let's look at this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. When you dig through commentary about the book of Judges, <coughs> it's kind of like the perspective is, is, is this is sort of like the dark ages of Israel's history. It's a period of about 300 to 350 years, somewhere in there. Between Joshua's death and 
the anointing of King Saul, which happens in 1 Samuel. So book of Judges, Ruth, and a portion of 1 Samuel fall inside of this time frame, this dark ages of Israel's history. <clears throat> Judges isn't a very long book, but when you read through it, I, I, honestly, it's, it's challenging. Now, it reads like a narrative, so what that means is you're reading story after story. So in that regard, it's, it's pretty easy to read, you know, but, but it's hard to digest. There's some icky things that happen in Judges. But when you have a season where everybody is doing as they see fit, well, just human tendencies step in there and you're going to get what you get with that. And that's what the book of Judges reflects. Now, it's got an interesting pattern to it. As Joshua is, his life is coming to an end, he encourages them, stay focused on the Lord. Keep, keep doing what he told you to do. Stay functioning inside of the parameter. <coughs> but right off the bat, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That is a phrase that shows up in Judges in almost every single chapter. Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And there is this pattern that happens. Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord turns against them. Bad things happen to Israel. They cry out, and the Lord raises up a judge. <clears throat> now, it's not a judge as we think, okay? It's not somebody sitting behind a bench with a gavel making decisions. This is more like, think of the word deliverer. The Lord raises up a deliverer, usually in the shape of a warrior of some sort. And they push out, they conquer whoever has come in and brought oppression to them. Most of the time it happens to be the Philistines. <clears throat> Philistines kind of keep showing up. So Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord turns against them. Um, evil comes upon Israel because of it or, or consequences. The Lord, they cry out, and the Lord raises up a deliverer. That deliverer overcomes whatever was happening, push them out. Israel is restored again. There's a, there's a short time of peace. Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the cycle repeats. So as you're going through the book of Judges, each judge is a, is a deliverer that is raised up inside of this, this cycle. You have a, a life cycle. You have a pattern of behavior where you make a choice, consequences show up. And you cry out to the Lord, and, and he redeems, and then there's a choice made, consequences. You ever seen that in your life, or in the life of a loved one? See, we have a tendency to pick on Israel, especially with this. <clears throat> and, and we do so for good reason. 
But we do so because the truth is we can see ourselves in them. They're human. And they're, and, and, and they're a group of humans with, without a particular leader. And because of that, inside of this leaderless reality, everyone does as they see fit. <coughs> Samson shows up on the scene. Samson is, is unique with the judges. He's, he's unique one. That's kind of why I'd like to look at him today. Samson's story begins before conception. His, his mom was barren, cried out to the Lord, wanted a child bad. And, and so the Lord speaks and says, you know what? You're, you're going to become pregnant. And, and, and when you do so, this child is to be set apart unto the Lord for his entire life. <clears throat> he's to be a Nazarite. He's to take the Nazarite vow, and he's to live that out his entire life. Now, the Nazarite vow is, is, is inside of the normal parameters of Israel's um, law, but it's, it's even more set apart. This person is to never touch wine, uh, any any kind of alcoholic drink, and, and they're never to cut their hair. It's just kind of those two unique things. They're to be extra set apart. So <clears throat> the law is put in place for Israel to be set apart from all other nations on the in the world. But inside of this parameter, the Nazarite is to be even set apart from those that are functioning inside of the set-apartness. Does that make sense? So this is, this is Samson. This is to be Samson's story. And so they walk this out. So Samson lives his life as a Nazarite. But Samson's got a problem. Samson, by the way, um, is, is sort of like Israel's Hercules. Okay, Israel's superhero. Whatever superhero you want to drop inside of that. But with, with, with ancient Israel, he's sort of their Hercules, and he's got this, this mighty strength that comes upon him. He's able to do incredible, incredible things, and, and single-handedly just is wiping out army and, and, and armies and, and, and many, many men. Okay, and one of the stories here is he wipes out a thousand men with just the jawbone of a donkey. I, that seems impossible. Um, unlikely, supernatural, of course. Imagine the numbers that would that that is. Samson's got a problem though, and it's women. And it's and it's not just women; it's Philistine women. It's it's enemy women. He can't stay away from them. And it's a serious problem with Samson. Now this is, understand, this is ironic. <coughs> because he's set apart inside of the set-apartness. Of all the people that should not touch the enemy women, it's Samson. Of all the people alive in Israel at this moment, at this point in time, the one who should not is the one who can't 
stop doing it. It's remarkable that God uses the fallible. It's remarkable how God will use the messed up. I'm a testimony to that. You see, my my life cycles have caused me so much drama. Yet in spite of that, His grace and His mercy continue to draw me nearer to Him, making me more like Him. So we pick up the story in chapter 16 with this Philistine woman named Delilah. There's a little thing that happens first. We'll we'll just read through it. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. There he goes again. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They're just Philistines are so sick and tired of this this Hercules showing up on the scene and wiping them out. Now they think they've got him. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. We will make you rich if you'll simply betray him. Into our hands. So Delilah said to Samson. Tell me the secret of your great strength. And how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her. With a lie. I I mean to tell you this. The secret to his strength by the way is his hair. Because he was. His hair was never cut. Scissors were never touched to his hair. That was. That. That. That was his strength. Now, it doesn't mean that his hair was magical. It's tied in with this Nazarite vow. Okay? Tied in with this vow. The fact that he was walking out this vow was the source of his power. And his hair was the representation of that vow. Okay? So she asks, what's the secret of your strength? And he lies to her. If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried... I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. This really should be the end of the story. This 
This should be the end of the story. Samson's got issues, man. Delilah's exposed at this point, okay? But she says, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Tell me how you can be tied. Boom, she should have been kicked out of the room. But he plays her game. I mean, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now, Delilah <laughs> should have known. I mean, she's been fooled once, and now you're going to talk about some kind of special rope, right? Both of these people. Okay. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah says to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with, with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. While he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from, from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then, he, then she said to him, how can you say, I love you? When you won't confide in me, you just keep lying to me. This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Well, woman, maybe it's because I, you shouldn't know the secret of my great strength. I mean, come on, Samson, wake up. Look at this. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. And he tells her the truth. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. And after lulling him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to come in and shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so they began to subdue him and his strength left him. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, no problem, I'll go out as before and shake myself free no matter what's happened here. Not realizing that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again. After it had been shaved. Cycle. So Samson's a, a, 
a reflection of the nonsense of this time. And he is, is the one that is supposed to be leading the way. He's the judge of the day. He's the one leading the charge, pushing the Philistines out, wiping the Philistines out. And yet he's inviting the very enemy of his, of his soul, of the, his, the very enemy of, of his camp, right into his bedroom. Time and time again. And then even when the enemy inside of, of the bedroom is exposed for what she's scheming to do, he just keeps So much of what happens in Samson's life is a reflection of the truth about Christians today. Who even though the enemy of our souls have been exposed for who he is, we just keep playing his game, playing right into his hands. Defeat is inevitable when we live that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you that that does not have to be our reality. Now, there's, there's a wonderful end to this story. Because there, there's, this, there's this redeeming thing that happens in the end. Because his hair began to grow back out again, secretly his strength returned to him. And there's this amazing end where, where the Philistines bring him out of prison to, to mock him and, and to make fun of him and to kind of um, therefore laugh at Israel, laugh at Israel's God because they've got their Hercules bound up. And they, he puts his hands between two of the pillars, the main pillars that are holding this, this temple together where all of these warriors have gathered to laugh at him. And in one last Herculean move, he pushes those pillars out and the whole thing comes down. In fact, it says he killed more men with his death than he did while he was alive. The grace and the mercy of our God is reflected all the way through the book of Judges. It's reflected all the way through Samson's story, just as it is reflected in our lives today. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, <coughs> the faith chapter, the hall of faith, Samson's name shows up in there. Even though this may be our reality, there's redemption in this that God brings to us. 
time and time and time and time again. It's relentless. But this does not have to be our norm anymore. We can break the cycle. We, we can turn this into this. The craziness and the chaos that comes from living life doing as we see fit can cease if we allow the king of our hearts to be the king of our lives. Yes, the book of Judges is challenging. And you, you go through it, I mean, you, 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 it barely even mentions the Ark of the Covenant. It barely mentions the, the tabernacle, the, the law, the, this whole framework inside of which all of this community is supposed to be functioning in is almost non-existent. But it comes before us today reminding us that, man, there is this whole different way of living, this whole different, I'm going to use the word, I love it, trajectory that God has for those who have said yes to Jesus, <coughs> who have put their faith in him, this can come to an end and, and steady growth and the, and the chaos can be replaced with, with peace and, and a sense of, of of overcoming, does it mean that, that the Delilah of our life isn't going to keep showing up? He, the enemy, is persistent as well. Believe me, he's not going to keep coming at us, but we do not have to give him an ear. We can just kick him straight out the door. We've been given that authority to do that, and I would just encourage us, church, to walk that way. And let the victory unfold in our lives. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Jesus, we're, we're, we're challenged and we're, and we're grateful today for <clears throat> the, the truth of this story. It, it's, it's tragic. And, and we look at this story and we, we laugh and we realize how, how stupid can he be of all the people? The one that should be set apart inside of the set apartness of, of all the people. He's the one that should know that he just comes before us today. Glaring. His issues glaring before us this, in this cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges, but even in Samson's life. How easy it is for us to get caught in that. But you have victory for us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you can free us from that, that chaos cycle, that crazy cycle. And put us on a path that, that, that is filled with peace doesn't mean that there won't be resistance. 
It doesn't mean that the enemy won't won't be scheming against us because he he will continue to do so. He has this confidence that he's got humanity beat. That he knows humanity, he knows how to trip humanity up, and he's got them beat. And to an extent, that is true. Except for the redeemed. Except for those who have been saved by grace through faith and have Jesus as the king of their lives. That group is the group that he should have no power and influence over anymore. And that includes us in this room here today. So Jesus, whatever you need to do to help us Walk this out. Empower us at whatever level you need to empower us. And whatever things that are in our lives that that keep triggering this crazy cycle, surface those things for us and show us what we need to do with them, whether it's confession or just allowing our minds to be transformed and be renewed, changing the way we think, which will change the way we behave, which will remove the negative consequences, and suddenly our lives are just a trajectory of growth. We want to honor you with our lives. We have honored you today with our voices, with our time. We want to honor you with our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. you stand with me? I want to say a blessing over you as you depart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and fill, fill you with his peace and his power. Have an amazing week walking it out. We'll see you next Sunday.